0: Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast under the stairs. This is bonus episode 440. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Up on this short and snappy bonus episode I'm bringing you something a little bit special. It is one of my favourite movies that I've seen this year. Mostly because it scratches that weird, uh, bizarre, off-kilter, 70s style right True storytelling and cinema experience that only the great folk horrors can bring you. Of course, I'm chatting about Ennis Main, a movie that I reviewed earlier in the year because it played in the UK, but it's about to be released in. states selected theaters as of the 31st of march and yeah well i've already reviewed it so why would i review it again i'm not gonna instead i'm gonna sit down with the director mark jenkin and i'm gonna chat to him in detail about the movie and our shared love of requiem for a village it is an exciting interview it doesn't run huge in length but by god do we pack some information in for you guys out there so i hope that you will sit back get comfy and enjoy so here is the trailer for ennis main and when i return i'll be joined by director mark jenkins to discuss his movie right after this Welcome back ladies and gents I am overjoyed and privileged at this point To be joined by the director of the brand new I'm going to say folk horror movie But I, I dare say we're going to get into it The brand new movie Ennis Mean, is, of course the phenomenal Mark Jenkin How's it going Mark? Very well. Yeah, good to good to chat, Duncan. Good to hear from you. Um, so I, I mentioned it, and we're probably we should just get into it. Um, I caught this movie when it played in Scotland earlier on, but it's about to get its uh, its release over stateside. Um, but it is a movie that just kind of reminded me so much of my childhood and watching things that um, traumatised me for no real reason, like there's something really bizarre about kind of 70s British TV um, and British movies. When you approached this, was the intention to do something um, as unsettling as you delivered or did it just kind of roll out that way as you filmed?
1: I think I'm I'm a bit like you. I was traumatized by all of that stuff, but I don't think I realised how much it had gone in mm. until it started to come out during the <laughs> making of this film, and how unsettling. I think it, a lot of it was sort of that British television, but also things like the um, like the public information films, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. Which, and I think I I became very conscious of how chilling. And how direct and how unsubtle that filmmaking was, mm. but how effective it was with like the slenderest of means. How you could create an, a real sense of foreboding and dread without really showing anything. And I think that's really, I think, I think that's always been in me because I watched all of that stuff at a very impressionable age. And this was this film's the perfect vehicle for for that to kind of come out. You know, there's no there's no huge scares when you if you read the script for Ennis Maine, mm-hmm. but the sort of the, the horror and the terror and the and the sense of foreboding and the unsettling atmosphere is is in the form. And I think that that was what those British that British very specific type of British TV and cinema and those public information films. I think that's that it, it that, that was very specific, that kind of feeling.
0: Yeah, I remember watching it was a few years ago, and it was one of those things where the BFI over in the UK had published like the, the list of um like folk horror movies that you need to see. And I remember one being on the list I'd never heard of before called Requiem for a Village from the seventies. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna check this out. And it's the most unassuming thing, but I felt on edge all the way through it to the very end, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And watching Ennis Mean that was all there through it, I found. At times my, my knee was kind of moving <laughs> like <laughs> uncontrollably, and I couldn't quite put my finger on exactly what it was. It's um uh, it, it's you, you don't approach things from a very easy fashion in the way you film either. You have a, a a very unique style, and that's a lot to do with the the way that you specifically shoot, the sort of format you shoot on, and then how you do things in in post. Coming to this one off the back of the critical acclaim that you had with, with *Bate*, was there a, a continued kind of move to continue working within that format because of the success of that, or do you just find that is kind of the medium you enjoy working within?
1: Yeah, I can't do anything else. I can't work <laughs> any other way. And yeah. that's not to that's not that's not to say that I couldn't learn mm. and adapt, but the joy I get from working with in the way that I work, I don't want to change that for anything. We, I mean, we did change stuff with with Ennis. Mainly, the, obvi- the obvious thing is this one's this one's color yeah. and bait. The previous film was was black and white, but we were, You know, it's the same crew, same cast, the same sort of process, and I like the. You know, you say that. I don't go around things the in the easiest way, and I do. I understand where that comes from because mm-hmm. before I went back to shooting on film, the idea of film was slightly, slightly terrifying. Yeah. You know, the risk of shooting on film, the cost of shooting on film, the limitations, but actually what's happened is they, they've all become the things that I really rely on mm-hmm. to create the work. And actually I, th- I don't, you know, the camera that I use, for example, I know that camera inside out. Cause it's so simple. It's just a black light, light, yeah. Light tight box with a lens on the front of it. And a and a spring inside it and I wind it up. You know, it doesn't even have batteries. So actually there's a simplicity to the way that I work that I find quite comforting and very limiting. It's interesting you're talking about Requiem for a Village, because that I programmed that for the season of films that I curated during January at the BFI. I didn't know that. I selected Yeah, I watched it while I was editing Ennis Main and I knew about it. I knew this I knew the famous set piece of the of the people, the ancient villagers climbing out of their graves in the churchyard yeah. and coming back to life, but it was almost like that was. And I don't know whether it was because I was familiar with that already, but but really, that was the least kind of unnerving thing about the whole <laughs> film. And I had exactly the same thing as you, this sense of foreboding, which which does have a payoff in that film, doesn't it? It's a very literal kind of doom. But I, what I loved about that film was kind of was how angry it was, mm-hmm. but in a very sort of British button-down anger. <laughs> But, you know, there's a fury behind that film that I really love. And it's not on the surface. Yeah. It's, it's bubbling away below the surface. But, you know, I, I probably work. I, I, my, my film's set in 1973. Mm-hmm. I don't consciously try and evoke that era through the filmmaking, other than I select the way that I work is really a way that if you had a low budget in the 1970s you'd probably make the film in the same way that i'm making it now and something like gladwell's requiem for a village where he wouldn't have had any hardly any money yeah probably didn't have hardly any time but actually those things that can be perceived as as problems are actually what makes that film so brilliant because the inventiveness in there and and actually it's, it's very difficult to define that film you know because mm. it, sometimes it feels like a documentary the whole there's that whole scene where they make the cartwheel, which goes on for ages. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what, where, what's going on now? And then cutting kind of a scene which just like, proper sort of full on kind of pretty dark sort of sexual assault and all of that kind of stuff. And it's like, it's such a, yes, it's, it's such a formally interesting film. And I'm always interested in films that are formally interesting. If we're not experimenting with the form, then I find it quite difficult. You know, it doesn't have to be extreme, yeah. but if somebody's doing something new with the form, because the art, because the art form and the form of filmmaking is so young. You know, it's only it's only a few decades old, mm-hmm. what, 130 years or whatever. So if we're not experimenting with the form, then I I find it difficult to get excited. And something like Requiem for a for a Village is um is so beautiful in that respect.
0: Yeah, because I I was thinking as well, like when watching it, like the the way that you capture um, the feel, it, it almost feels like someone has like stumbled upon like a like a time capsule um, and opened it up, and your your film was in it. Like today, there would be uh, people in um, you know digital effects that would add filters and you know cracks and pops on on top of that, and I think we're just we're conditioned through a lot of digital effects nowadays to to like oh well this is what oh this movie feels old but watching yours like because you're using that equipment and uh, approaching it that way it's it's beyond authentic if that makes sense it just like you accept everything you're watching within the first minute as all right i'm watching something of this era of this time period and like you you have a a a that even with the use of the colours, everything felt very much of, like, fitting in. There wasn't anything too garish over, over the top. However, you do have the gnarly, gnarliness in there. Like, some, some of the, like... We were just mentioning some of the the, the kind of aggressive undertones and and in, in the background and then specifically we like me and my friend that went to see the movie remarked about there's a, a body in the film which i'm, I'm not going to any more detail for spoilers but the the effects in that were were absolutely incredible like to the point that we, you know we were like did, did, I, did they find the body um all that aspect <laughs> as well so like I, working with all those different elements as well and the uh, and the tech um, it, it links me back to this this kind of idea of like you were working with limited budget during a time period that was very very difficult to make movies um, and all those challenges as well as the remote location um, I mean like, in, in terms of like a shoot compared to Bait which felt like there was so many challenges on top of that overall how did it go? Was this an easier shoot? Was it a, a more difficult shoot or comparable in, in, in any way?
1: Much easier, mm. much easier because it was. I mean, it, it feels more remote, but yeah. the whole thing was filmed just where we live. Oh, so, I didn't know that either. Yeah, so we didn't shoot on the island at all. Which here I, I, to destroy the magic of cinema, you know, we <laughs> never felt we never stepped foot on that particular island. Mm-hmm. I I cast the island early on in the process, and then we picked out. Um, locations here on the West Penwith Moor yep. that could logically fit on that island which again was a great limitation we had this wide shot that we didn't I had a, a, a photo that I'd got off the internet of the island um, we didn't actually shoot the wide shot of the island till much later on in the process but, uh, so, but I had this photo that showed the island and mm-hmm. so we were picking locations based on what could feasibly be on that island so that was a great limitation so I, you know, I I. We all stayed at home every night. You know, we were in our, we were, we were back home in our, I mean, some of those locations are 10 minutes from here. So it was very simple. Whereas actually with, with bait, it was um, for the, at least for the first two weeks on location at the harbor, that's a good hour and a half away. So that was a much harder shoot for me for for bait. And also, it was, if you think about when we shot Ennis, we just come out of lockdown. And yes. technically, we, we we were still actually in lockdown when we shot it but because we were working we you know it was a, it was a softer lockdown that third one mm-hmm. and so on second one maybe and uh, and so actually the actual shoot was a was a joy and none of the cinemas were open at that point we never we didn't know which ones were going to reopen if any were going to reopen you know was it just was netflix just the future of everything so we were making the film almost not thinking about the final film, just enjoying being in each other's company again. So I've got really fond memories um, of of the shoot. And I wouldn't say it was easy, because I think it's a really bad sign if the shoot's easy. You know, I was, at the end of every day, I was thinking, we haven't got we haven't got what we need Mm -hmm. this is going to be a disaster this isn't going to make sense which is what i always think when we're making a film and i always think you know i've probably got enough footage to put together an abstract art installation that one of the galleries might (laughs) might put on here and that's kind of standard and i like being sort of on the edge of 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 sanity when i'm shooting but mm-hmm. i think compared to other shoots it was just a joy to be in people's company again and it and that and the weird paradox is it's a film about isolation it's a yeah. film about abstentiously a, a woman on her own but actually behind the camera was this sort of joy <laughs> yeah. of, of, of of us being and i'm quite introverted i'm quite happy being on my own and, and even i was like oh god i can't wait to get back on <laughs> set again because so and so is going to be there today and i haven't seen them for six months and so it was it was a I don't think I'll have a well. I mean, I don't want to tempt fate with regard to pandemics, but um, I, it was quite a unique experience shooting that film, and one that I don't think will be replicated again.
0: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. Um, I think your movie will stand out this year as one of the more remarkable bits of cinema that I saw. I I, I genuinely think it's uh, it's absolutely brilliant and um one that just stuck oh, thank with you. me oh it stuck with me for days after just like kind of like hung around me um like like a fog uh, in the best. Well, that, I mean the best that,
1: way. that's the biggest compliment that anybody can ever give me because they are the films that I like I, I watched um Skin Marink oh, the other yes. night. Mm-hmm. and And that's the same I mean, I talked to Kyle yesterday the director And um, I'm so glad I watched the film the night before I chatted to him because I was still, the film was still playing in my head when I was... Oh, it (laughs) keeps going. Oh, yeah, it really keeps going. Yeah, it's it's a great response.
0: It's the the sort of thing like when you hear people talk about things living rent-free in your head, uh, Ennis Mane and Skinnamarink have have had two rooms in my brain pretty much since January, so... um, Well, well, I I think they're both three-act films that, that the
1: third act wasn't filmed Mm -hmm. so the so the viewer creates the third act which means that the the and that might be a quite a twee thing to say and uh and not make complete sense but i think they're the films that i like that haven't got the third act you know you you create the third act on your way out of the cinema and Mm -hmm. and and on the way home and quite often that's just and that third act is is the logic which is you know i'm I'm a big horror film fan Mm -hmm. I, i i think but I th- and I think you know, like most films, most films are flawed, and I think most horror films that I see are ult- are ultimately flawed. But it's very rare to see a horror film that hasn't got a brilliant idea in mm-hmm. there somewhere. And I think quite often it's the third act of horror films or third act of most films that I, I'm let down by when yeah. when the logic is is imposed. Um, and so I wanted to make a film that that didn't have that. And I know that'll that'll annoy some people. And it has annoyed some people with you know, <laughs> when I when I feel particularly masochistic and, and start reading reviews on letterbox, I, I see some people are quite annoyed. Yeah. But I think the people who, who go with it really get something out of it. Yeah.
0: I I think that's uh, to me that's the more interesting aspect now um, I want to thank you very much for your time I know you've got plenty of other interviews today Uh, just to say that your movie is playing in select theaters March 31st and hopefully my listeners over in the states will go and check it out Mark I wish you all the success in the world with this and I look forward to checking out what your next project is when it lands
1: thank you very much great to speak to you Duncan
0: You're listening to The Podcast Under The Stairs. And you've been listening to The Podcast Under The Stairs. This has been bonus episode 440. A huge thanks to Mark Jenkins for taking a bit of time out on the press tour that he's doing right now to sit down and chat to me about Ennis Main. Now, this movie is available in selected theatres in the states as of the 31st of March please do not sleep on this if you are even remotely interested in anything we discussed or you like your uh, you like your 70s styled British folk horror or just 70s styled British anything the 70s is a weird fucking decade over here then you need to go and support this movie i want to thank falco inc for setting up this interview and like i see the movie's available 31st march in the states in the uk you can pick it up on blu-ray within the next month and a bit it'll be available for you guys i know i've got things already on pre-order and i know you guys will as well there is a multitude of ways to check out podcasts on the stairs. Where if you're listening, right now hit subscribe. Subscribe to our sister feed, the t Collective. That way you're getting everything that I do and release. Also, you can jump across and check out our website, tputtscast.com. Links to everything is there, as well as a link to a show called Jaws is Shite and other regrettable outbursts. A booze-based bands and entertainment podcast returning for you within the next two weeks in video podcast format. Get excited because we are very excited to give it to you. On Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash t for the podcast under the stairs. T Collective is Facebook.com forward slash T And Jaws is shite is Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash regrettable pod. On the instas and the twitters at cast for both. The podcast Under the Stairs returns for you on Monday when we drop a little bit of that Russian roulette franchise retrospective on the Candyman series. The first two movies captured in that review episode were winging its way to you on Monday. So until then, wherever you are, where the time zone is, and what you're up to in this big bad world virus, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from Under the Stairs, and I am signing off.